Hey, this is Nick DiMatteo from Music Is Not A Genre. I just wanted to take a minute to talk to you about the service I use to record and distribute my podcasts. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you from experience, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Here's why. It's free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So please take a moment out. If you are planning to create, record, and distribute podcasts, take a look at Anchor. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hey, I'm Nick DiMatteo, and welcome to Music Is Not A Genre, the Music Is Everything edition, number 23, or for those of you listening on the podcast platforms, season three, episode 27. Uh, In Music Is Everything, I take a musical concept, idea, fact, opinion, belief, uh, I unravel it, I talk about it at length, and then I connect it to uh, things in the world, non-musical things in the world. Thank you to everyone, as always, for watching and listening and clicking and listening again and reading, uh, subscribing, sharing. Sharing is wonderful. And uh, thank you, especially to my Patreon patrons for being a part of the family. If you know anyone else who you think would uh, love being a part of this crazy music obsession, please send uh, the Patreon page to them or even the YouTube channel. It'd be great to have them there as well. This week uh, is, uh, as usual, it's a topic near and dear to my heart, and the title uh, of it is Broken Windows Listening, the Reductive and Destructive Choice of Surface Over Substance. Music is layered both vertically and horizontally. You've got the vertical stack of ensemble music, orchestras, bands, choirs, and then there's the horizontal layout of compositional structure, chords, melodies, verse, chorus, or theme variation, etc., which means even a single a cappella voice is layered. In each case, you're dealing with multiple parts that shape the whole. At times, one part is dominant, but rarely for an entire composition. For a musical work to make a positive impression, all these parts need to work well together. That doesn't mean every part does the same amount of work, serves the same function, or is even of the same quality. Let's first establish that perfection doesn't exist. It never has and never will. Musicians and singers can do so well that they create the illusion of perfection. Then someone else comes along and does the same thing in a different way and executes it equally well. Neither one is better nor more perfect. They each succeed and each make a different impression. The same is true for parts not as close to quote-unquote perfect. We've all loved music that has less than stellar lyrics, passable rhythmic elements, quirky singing or soloing that doesn't follow strict technique guidelines or just plain sloppy playing. Does this make that music not good? No. The end result is a work that makes a positive impression and contributes something valuable to the musical conversation. Louis Louis is no less worthy than Moonlight Sonata or Blue Monk. So why is it then that some of us choose to judge a work based on surface elements like 
chops or sound or precision? Why do we often dismiss works that have one or more quote-unquote imperfect elements when perfection doesn't even exist? To what standard are we holding these works? Answers to most of those questions are personal, based on taste, emotion, experience, upbringing. But that last question, what standard? I believe there's one answer to that. The wrong one. When we judge a work to be inferior, it's because we're using a standard that doesn't fit. One that may be completely valid for another work or one's experience as a listener or creator, but that doesn't apply to most other works in the world. It's unfair, it's reductive, and it's damaging because it not only dismisses the differing experience and origin of that work, it also completely overlooks its depth and its unique and extremely valuable angle of expression. This is exactly how we judge people and communities, too. If what we see or hear doesn't fit our preconception of what a worthy person or community should be, that is only what we ourselves have experienced and valued and expressed, we mark that person or community as inferior, in need of help or pity, or worse, discipline and control. This kind of judging based on standards that don't fit is A, quick and shallow, B, highly subjective and prejudiced, and C, the cause of most division and destruction in the world. That includes racism, homophobia, anti-Semitism, pretty much any negative-ism and person-based phobia. I'd even say war. When police spend time, energy, and money, quote-unquote, cleaning up a neighborhood by scrubbing graffiti, arresting vandals, profiling with stop-and-frisk procedures, and a host of more disproportionately violent responses, they're ignoring the breadth and substance of a person or community in favor of surface elements like paint or skin color or mode of expression or behavior. And those are only the beginnings of a cycle that often ends in the most heinous and inhuman acts. This pretty much defines how our society is structured. We are built on a foundation of judging everyone by one set of standards, disrespecting entire bodies of history, experience, work, contribution, creation, context, expression. We can change this if we're willing to be less reductive and reactionary. Every time your brain or heart tells you something or someone or some group is not living up to your preconceived standards, stop. Take a moment, reframe, rethink, open your eyes and ears to what is actually being done and said. In that brief moment, you might glimpse part of the substance you would have missed. And that substance might feel familiar, relatable, or at the very least, valuable. We have the power to take in what we hear and see from artists and from life and find where we connect to it. And the more we do that, the closer we get to the whole point of being alive. So 
this the, the impetus for this uh, week's opinion piece uh, um, stemmed from an article I read recently in a local paper, uh, AM New York Metro, I think it's called now, two local papers, free, that have merged. Pretty decent reporting. And it was one of many, I assume, publications that reported that the NYPD is now, uh, at the end, I think it might have been a month ago, uh, taking uh, the, you know time, effort, money, energy, all that, people, to uh, take on an initiative of cleaning up the city of graffiti. Okay, so many of you will hear that. Some of you might be like, good, it's about time. Some of you might be like, okay, sure. You know, um, I did not have that response. I was incensed. Imagine something to, that may to you sound quite wonderful or innocuous, just, you know, uh, G giving me a response of complete anger. Just, just complete anger. And here's why, okay? I mean, it's multi-layered, but I'll try to keep it short. First of all, um, I've been a huge fan of graffiti. Uh, my partner and I have a t-shirt company, Snark Shirts by Feek. Uh, the font is a font I created a long time ago called Nick Scratch, and it's based on graffiti. Because ever since I was a kid, I've been, I've just loved graffiti. I've loved the art of graffiti, the expression of graffiti, the spontaneity of it, uh, and how it can surprise you. Now, it's not, that's not to say all graffiti's great. Listen, there is, as I mentioned, you know, all the isms and everything, there's anti-Semitic graffiti, there's, you know, racist graffiti, sure. Absolutely true. And I'm not saying that all things are created equal. It's kind of the whole point of this. But most graffiti is simply just someone expressing themselves. Or even better than that, sometimes it is an absolute, you know, uh, work of art. Just a work, of, just multi-layered work of art. Some some are just words with interest, with interesting font, a way, a way of creating the, you know, letters. Uh, that's awesome. And some, you know, illustrations and everything, I'm basically just describing what graffiti is to you. But graffiti has a thousands of year old tradition that, you know, probably did not start here, but I believe the word came, it's an Italian word, and it came from Roman soldiers on their way to battle or from battle wanting to just basically shout into the world. And they would carve things into the, you know, stone walls and things that they encountered. And that's a, that would be a graffito, which is the singular, and graffiti is plural. So that that's one thing. I love graffiti, you know. And so that's just a personal thing. Not everyone does. And listen, if you're going to graffiti something that's already valuable, like let's say um, the sign on a storefront or a work of art itself or an important, uh, you know, something that's posted up for information, then no, that's not good. You know, you as an artist, you shouldn't destroy someone else's work of art. Fine. But again, and I will say this, most, the vast majority of graffiti does not do that, okay? But the main reason this incensed me is that we've just gone through a year of enlightenment, a year of us, you know, being disabused of any remaining notion that the, the world as it is structured is fair. That's, that goes towards Black Lives Matter. It goes towards, uh, you know, defund the police, which may not be the greatest phrase because it implies take all money away from police, etc. But, you know, the, the, the idea behind it is something 
absolutely worth not just exploring but hopefully implementing. Uh, there are better ways to handle many other th things in society. And this is an example of that. The NYPD, love it or hate it, um, has a lot of money. It has enough money to function uh, in a way that can be extremely controlling. There are valuable things they do, I'm sure, but um, it is no you know, more or, or less culpable than many other uh, you know, uh, uh, police organizations around the country. And with, in the middle, in the middle of us trying to figure out how we should relate in the world, how we should be treating people with more equity and care and, and, and love and compassion and, and listening to them and actually just treating them like human beings and not responding you know, to a person, again, based on surface elements like skin color or mode of behavior or expression, how they sound, things like that. You know, we, we are trying to figure out how we as a society relate to policing in general, which is so out of control. The militarization of police is one of the most ridiculous things that I've ever seen happen in the last 25 years. And there have been some majorly ridiculous things. Um, it's, only, it's, it's a you know, war of aggression uh, that has become this idea of you, the police are at war against it, their own society. It's disgusting to me. And we're trying to figure all of this out. We're trying to figure out, do police belong in society anymore? And if they do, what is their function? And how can we better train police to treat citizens with respect across the board and not judge or prejudge or snap judge, which doesn't just cause, you know, racism and all, causes deaths. How can we reconcile all of this? We're, we're trying to figure this out. And in the midst of all this, the NYPD thinks it's important enough to spend their time and energy and money and, 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 and personnel on cleaning up graffiti. This is the epitome to me of broken windows policing, which if you don't know, and I, I, you know, I don't, I'm not gonna give you the whole history, but apparently it started in the, in the early 80s, 1982, and it's based on a belief that even the smallest things have a big impact, which is, you know, I guess the devil's in the details or whatever, um, God is in the details, uh, take it where you are, that the idea of taking pride in where you live, which is such a loaded phrase, the taking pride. It really is a loaded phrase because who, who are we to say how someone else should take pride in something? Um, which I'll, I'll get to a little bit more of that later. Uh, but, it, you know, so it seems like a reasonable idea. Okay, we're let, you know, it's the idea of neglect, you know, uh, building, the, the, the metaphor there is if a window is broken, it shows a lack of respect for where you live. But boy, that metaphor is just, it does, it, take it to its extreme. And you get co-op boards or community organizations uh, within, you know, in housing who fine people for having the wrong color paint or who won't allow people certain, you know, certain ways of modes of expression because they find it distasteful. Again, judging everyone by one standard. And that's minor, that's innocuous compared to you know, taking it to its furthest extreme, which is police, you know, profiling, stop and frisk, police arresting uh, uh, and prosecuting uh, people 
on the most nonviolent of charges. I mean, thankfully, you know, pot is legal now in this state and hopefully will be in every state. But the amount of people who have been sent to jail, and if you consider the three strikes law, sent to jail for years and years and years and years over things like smoking pot or possessing pot or selling pot or things that are relatively harmless or or you know let's say you were arrested three times for vandalism you know some kind of some nonviolent thing graffiti whatever they word they you know they want to use euphemism they want to use or the opposite of a euphemism i guess hyperbole uh to describe that act and then you're arrested three times for that and you're in jail for years for what you know wielding a can of spray paint and and this is simply, as the origin of pol all police in the United States were a way to, you know, uh, control uh, ex-slaves, you know, the, who, the, or basically to, in some ways, re-enslave a population, to control, to discipline and control, put people in their place, you know. Uh, that's what this all is doing. That's what broken windows policing does. It's just another form of discrimination. It's another form of profiling. Do you think that if the police went into a largely white affluent community and saw some uh, some kid spraying graffiti, that their immediate response would be to slam them against the wall, cuff them, and arrest them, whatever it is? No, probably not. They 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 were warning, or they'd say at least you have to clean it up, something like that. It is absolutely profiling, and it's a waste of resources when the, when, the, when the cops could be spending their time trying to figure out how to fit in society in a way that doesn't damage it, in a way that doesn't damage and do violence to people and communities. You know, choosing, choosing surface over substance isn't just being sh shallow. That's why I mentioned that. It is destructive. It's absolutely destructive because you are ignoring really the whole, the whole reason any of us exist, which is what's inside of us, the spirit inside of us, the substance inside of us, the things that connect us to the rest of humanity. You're dehumanizing people, you're dehumanizing communities, and thankfully broken windows, you know, policing is out of favor, at least in the zeitgeist. It doesn't mean that that's not still happening, but it's happening everywhere. You know, as I, you know, this article uh, proves, but it, it, hopefully that uh, that trend will latch on to the rest of what's going on with Black Lives Matter and all of that, and we'll get to a place where we stop judging others based on what we think is good or what we like. I mean, listen, I see people wearing certain kinds of clothing and all of that, and and my first thought is, oh, geez, I'd never wear that. It looks dumb. I'd look dumb in it. I realize, though, immediately that that's a snap judgment based on what I like, what I find to be a standard of clothing. And is there anything wrong with that other person wearing that other kind of clothes? Absolutely not. It is their mode of expression. And, and that's how I tie all of this to, to music. Um, and, and listen, I could go on and on and on about the idea like here's here's a perfect example it's it's less important than what i just said but it's a good segue and that is when i walk into somebody's house i can immediately tell whether they care more about surface or substance 
um, as far as their relations to other humans. Personally, you know, you may not be able to tell as much. But as far as their relations to other humans in the world, if I walk into a house and it's disgusting, then okay, they may not, you know, and, I'm, and by that I mean it's not just it doesn't look good, but it's, it's, it's bad for the health, you know then I think that that's an extreme. That is someone who doesn't care enough about themselves even to extend that to others. If I walk into a house and it's in decent shape, you know, you might have a little pet odor here or a messy, you know, desk or coffee table or not all the dishes are done. But in general, it's just a house that's lived in. That's a person who finds what they're doing in a day and the substance of what they're doing more important than just making everything look nice. When I walk into a house that's pristine, where everything is spotless and in its place, first of all, it's very uncomfortable. And second of all, how much time and effort did it take to get that house that way? You know, not for some special occasion, that's maybe different, but for just somebody coming over. Rather than spending that time contributing something valuable to your own life, to someone else's life. I, I, just, I just think that's kind of a good example of what I mean by, you know, wasting time and effort and attention on the wrong things, you know. And, and so when it comes to music, and I won't promise I won't get back to the, the life world thing later. It really depends on where this is going. When it comes to music, this really ties into... I mean, it, it ties into my other podcast about, you know, people prizing chops over the, the song itself, you know, in, in, in another podcast about serving the song. Um, to me, it's not whether something is done perfectly or even done well by some standard. It's does it work? Period. Does it work? In the context of what that song is and what it's trying to achieve, does it work? Or does it distract? Or does it try to, you know, stand out and make its own point? And so when someone listens to a song or an artist and says, well, they can't play like such and such. I mean, shoot, we do this to ourselves. Even as a musician, when I'm playing or singing, I often hold myself to a standard of some other, you know, guitarist or, or pianist or bassist or singer and say, ah, oh, I'm not doing what they're doing. But then I, I'm experienced enough to wake up and say, that's not what's important. What's important is to make this my own. And how can I be the best me, you know, in that, in that context? Well, how can the song be the best song? How can the player be the best player? Does someone listen to B.B. King and say, well, he can't play the way Steve Vai can play or Joe Satriani can play or Eddie Van Halen could play or, or any, any, you know, virtuoso? No. Or if you do then you are doing, you're doing broken windows listening. You are, you are uh, taking a standard that, that applies to one kind of playing and applying it to all kinds of playing, and that's ridiculous to me. It's like um, people who uh, teach uh, certain kinds of vocalizing, of singing, who believe that the only way to sing is in proper operatic form with uh, using your instrument in that one way. No. No, 100% no. Does Robert Smith of The Cure or, you know, Bono, a worse singer than Pavarotti? No, different kinds of singing shouldn't be held to the same standard. And, 
you know, the, we, we really need, I really think, and I, by we, I mean me too, absolutely me too, uh, to be more aware of when we are judging anything, any type of art or a human or, or a part of society or a society as a whole by one standard. I think that's how restrictive laws are passed. I think that's how laws that uh, cut into people's rights are passed because it's a, it's a group whether it's the the you know legislators or the population who support them saying we believe uh, abortion should be illegal because we don't believe in it and we don't believe that a woman should have that right we don't we we believe that uh, you know all the things that that uh, anti-abortion people say and then imposing that law on people who disagree and again this goes towards what. And I know this is a what a subject to bring up, but in general, uh, it goes towards nonviolent offenses, things that do not harm others. If you are trying to impose your laws about things that don't harm others, like let's say, um, you know, when gay marriage was illegal, that is imposing your standards, what you think should be everyone's standards, on you know on the entirety of society. So, you know. It's the slowly upward arc or whatever you want, you know, whatever the quote is. And I believe that's true. I think things are way better now than they were 100 years ago. But they are way worse now than they will be 100 years from now. And I do believe that that's true. And part of the way we get there is by being as aware as we can of when we are, and I know I'm repeating myself, but it's worth repeating, when we are judging others, in particular others, by our own standards, by standards we grew up with. It's hard. It's very hard to be, to A, be aware of it, and then to, to B, convince yourself that that's not how you should judge others, because it's an emotional thing. If you were, you know, were brought up that, I don't know, by the end of the day, all the dishes in the sink should be completely done, and then you are living with somebody who doesn't do that, even though, you know, rationally you might say to yourself, well, so what? We'll do them the next day. No big deal. There's an emotional part of you that will still respond like that's disgusting. You know, that's, that's, you know, that's not how you live life. That's not how you keep a clean house. It doesn't live up to your standard. And again, it's different from somebody takes those dishes at the end of the day and smashes them on the kitchen floor. There's a destructiveness to it. In the same way that um, anti-Semitic graffiti is destructive or graffiti on top of another work is, is destructive. There are distinctions. Nothing is black and white. But the, you know, doing something in a different way that is also as harmless and doing it your way, the way you think is right, is no less valuable or worthy than your way. And I, I mean, a more articulate person could, could you know, take this and, and maybe inspire people and convince more people that taking that extra moment and taking a type of music or a song that at first you say, what is this? And giving it a second listen, it seems trivial. 
And on its own, maybe it is. But the thing is, it's a muscle. And if you can, if you can uh, exercise that muscle and that part of your brain to be open to judging a song differently, then maybe you'll judge an article differently. And then maybe you'll judge a person differently and then a community differently and then and the world differently and be open to the fact that your judgment, your standards just might not apply. They just might not apply. Uh, I hope that this makes sense to you. Um, if you uh, agree with me or disagree, I love to hear from you. If there's something you think I left out or got wrong, I would love to hear from you. If you would like to add to this from any side of this, uh, this subject and this opinion, I would love to hear from you. If you have examples of music you feel has been unfairly judged, I'd love to hear from you. People or society, parts of society you feel have been unfairly judged, I would love to hear from you. Because as always, my objectives here are music, conversation, and connection. Thank you very much for being with me here, and I will talk to you next time. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more fantasy points.